Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk, the podcast for knife makers and knife nerds hosted by three culinary knife makers, myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, We've got Jeff Fader of Fader Knives, and we've got the great Mareko Mamasi of Mamasi Fire Arts. Hello. And for one week only, just one week only, we've got a fourth guest, a fourth host. It's the YouTube star, the TV star, the amazingly talented Alex Steele. How are you all, guys? Great to be here. What an honor. It's, I'm just, it, what a blast. Blast it will be. A blast it will be. <laughs> so how are we all? What have we been up to this week? Uh... Well, I've been up to finishing that stainless Woots knife. It's all been coming together super nice uh, until uh, yesterday or the day before. <laughs> I was getting ready to package and getting ready to put a crate on it because it's shipping international. And I always build a crate around my knives when they ship. And uh, it slipped off the table. Ooh. Tip Ugh. first, straight into the concrete no. floor. No! No! Yeah. The curse oh. of this blade. It's, it's no. been so... <laughs> it's terrible but fortunately i got a hold of the customer uh i was able to cushion it a little bit by pinning uh it, it literally went straight uh point first so i was able to kind of pin it between uh some packaging boxes in my leg to keep it the rest of it from toppling over um i got a hold of the customer i sent some video and just described you know what kind of options there were to go ahead to for moving forward and uh, he's all right with me just kind of reforming the tip and calling it good. So thank goodness for awesome customers who are very understanding. <laughs> uh, is this the knife that you've been sharing with the um, the the, the, the Seiya, the Martin Seiya? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Oh, that hurts my tummy. Hearing that hurts my tummy. How much time did you have into that? I've been working on that for the last month and a half, two months. Okay, so it's not like it was, you know a 12th of your life that just fell off the table, right? Right. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, it was. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, uh, it's been a, I posted the other day about how much of a pain uh, this build has been. And it is, it's just, it come, it ebbs and flows on how easy things come or are, I guess the builds go and then how difficult they are. Um, as you very publicly document, Alec. Um, but it's yeah this one has definitely been one of the worst i guess builds if that makes sense that i've had in my whole career uh working on my own so but i'm i look forward to finishing up and moving on for sure oh well i hope it makes it uh hope it makes it to the customer in one piece it does sound oh a little God. cursed but you know what? It's important to have these problems because that's kind of oh, where absolutely. the that's where the grit comes from. That's where your inner fortitude comes from. You know, you can't if you have it too easy. 
you know, something's ha- you need adversity in your life. Like the beautiful, most beautiful rose needs to be beaten down a little bit, you know. Well, that's the problem. These these bad things happen so infrequently. Like every six to eight months, something will go sideways, and I'm just like, "What the hell happened?" And it throws me for a loop because I just I get too comfortable. I think you're right. I can't. I shouldn't be so comfortable. I should anticipate that shit will go sideways almost any at any moment. But it's done. It's out your hair. It's done. Not quite yet. I still got to package, finish packaging it up and get it out. <laughs> <sighs> but it's almost there. What about you, Jeff? What have you been up to, man? Well, I, I've been, uh, it's been a production mania. We've been doing, uh, this past week, we've been putting on, uh, redoing, putting the handles on all these 36 Cuban knives, and that was a whirlwind. But the real whirlwind is Carl's new fame. My, uh, my assistant, Carl, <laughs> has turned into a global asset. He's very sought after, and he's, he's uh, fascinated. He's been listening to the podcast, and he's kind of like, he's fascinated by all the reach he's gotten and it's been a lot of fun he's been uh, enjoying it very much he's a valuable resource intros for the show so we've had jay-z you've had yeah. morgan freeman and today's intro was carl himself the real yeah. carl yeah carl carl wanted to get involved and he we've been actually he's been catching up on the on the podcast and he's been listening to him and he liked them and you know he's a he's a funny guy and and uh he's a good he's a he's a good kid and really what happened was is you know, he he was my intern for six months, and he left and went finished graduated high school, and and now he's on a gap year, getting ready to go to college, and he needed to make a little extra money. And I thought, you know, come on, you come on in, and it was like it was like Mr. Miyagi. He just totally picked everything <laughs> up. He slipped right in perfectly, and he really, 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 he really. The last two weeks has been have been amazing. I mean, he's just picked it all up, remembered everything, and. We, it's been a pleasure having him in the shop. A pleasure. Nice, so, nice. but it's production work now, and I kind of like that too. I think that that's, you know, it's fun. Uh, it's kind of fun to put yourself in a position of being uncomfortable. I I I, uh, I like it, and it was re- a lot of repetition, and it's been uh, been fun and weird. Putting in reps. Well, it's weird, but fun. Well, that's, that's what it was like when I worked for Bob. I mean, we were straight production, and. But the team, I guess, aspect of the whole thing, like you're working to get, it's no longer just you by yourself. It's you and the great Carl blasting away at knives. And you guys have this team input that's getting these things put together and sent out. And well, that's, I been good. I've been, I've been really counting on it. You know, the funny thing is, is you become more efficient when you're, when you're talking to anyone or working with anyone and you, you have to learn how to be, teach someone, not just teach them, but like, get them to be on board and you have to be able to explain yourself and you have to explain what we're doing. And then the other thing is, is we're paying him. I'm, he's not free labor. I'm paying him. And, and I want to make sure that he's busy and I don't really want him doing the, you know, sweep the floors for an hour or two. I want him to be aware. So what happens is, is I have to organize myself better in order to make sure he's, you know, doing stuff that it's valuable. So it makes me a little bit sharper and it makes me a little right. bit more efficient in my time because I want to make sure that there's no like, all right, we're done now. What? And then now I have to figure out something to do. So we're, we're it's really become, uh, it's been good for me mentally because it's really allowed me to kind of figure out how to keep everybody most efficient. So. Right. Well, and Alec, you had, um, sorry, I can't remember his name. Was his name Alex? Alex? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Working in the shop with you. I, how was that? Oh, it was, was, it it was phenomenal. Long, similar? 
Yeah, it, yeah. it was absolutely phenomenal. Alex is, uh, you know, his his experience with knife making before coming to me was all on a one by thirty belt grinder. You you know the type oh of gosh. grinders I'm talking about, yeah. like the little harbor freight mm. the harbor freight things. I've got to, I've got I've got to get good at pronouncing that. Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> and so it was amazing that with the experience on such a small little weak machine. He came into the shop, and the first time I got him grinding something, I think I gave him one of my mild steel chef's knives, blank chef's knife blanks that I had forged out that one day that I did four or five of them in one day, you know, just for practice. Mm. And yeah. he he ground the thing, and he did a really good job at putting a rough sixty grit grind on it the first time. And nice. he had done all his work on a small little grinder like that, and it was, it was it was just amazing. He had some very good attention to detail. He was extremely, uh, extremely skilled at the grinder, and uh, it was it was brilliant. You know, the first time that he visited, he was here for a month. Uh, it was a paid kind of internship type position, and it was it was just fantastic help because on the projects where it was something that I could hand off to him with his skill level, I was able to hand it off to him quite quickly knowing that he was going to do a good job. Um, and then at times where I was needing to do something, it was very helpful to have him clean up the shop and organize and, and tidy and what have you. So it was, it was really great. And he said, uh, he said just the other month that he had two weeks free. He then uh, came back for another two weeks and helped mm. out a lot more. And I was able to give him some really good free reign on a chopper, which was really a project that he led, which was enormously helpful for me because as, as, as you can imagine, I've been pretty busy lately. I've had a lot of uh, organizational type things to do. The Viking sword has taken so long oh my God. Um, to make Epic. up. It's been hell. And uh, having Alex's help really got me out of, uh, out of a pinch because the video production has been down, 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 down. And uh, his help being in the shop helped me at least get some content out. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm immensely grateful for his help and it was, it was just good. And I'm, I'm really thrilled that I picked him for the internship position because it, I just can't think of anybody that would have done a better job. So is Alex, is he bull blades? He's bull blades on Instagram. That's right. That's the one. Okay. So, I mean, with regards to what's been happening this week, I've had one of those really bitty weeks, you know, just dealing with the postal service, getting knives out, tidying mm-hmm. up the shop. Um, as we've talked about before, I've got I've got twins on the way within within weeks, so a lot of work on the house. Oh my yes, god! Yes, it's a lot of work to be done still. So I've had one of those really really unproductive weeks. But I mean, Alec, you've had you've had a busy week <laughs> by anybody's standards. You've had a very busy week. So oh, it's not, it's not do- been that bad, Craig. I mean, I, I only just announced that I would be moving to Montana. Um, and then, and then all I then had to do from there was try and find people that would ship the tools that I'm going to take. I had to list all the tools that I have in my workshop that I'm going to sell up on eBay and get rid of the tools, which I'm very fond of and emotionally attached to and have to, you know, detach myself from that appropriately. I've had to decide, you know, what are the things that I'm going to throw away and what are the things that I'm not going to throw away. I've filled up a skip halfway full. That's a dumpster to anybody in America listening. Um, and I've thrown away a lot of things and kept a lot of things and started packing things and, you know, just got ready to move my life across across the across the world. It's really been okay, to be honest. Oh, and launched a TV show too. At the oh same yeah, time. and and TV show came out. That was that was good. <laughs> oh, and I finished a Viking. Oh, and I I finished a Viking sword, and I organized the auction of a Viking sword. You got those thirty hour days over there in the UK, huh? No, I don't. I just I just am a headless chicken. I am a headless chicken, and it's a shock <laughs> that anything gets done with me. But something seems to be happening. Because I'm pretty sure I'm headed in the right direction, but uh, I think I'm just crazy enough to 
to, to, to do the headless chicken dance and somehow things work out. So hopefully that keeps happening. <laughs> and the show just premiered last night, right? Uh, no, or was, was it actually, the night before? I think it was, I can't remember. It was either last week or the week before. No, I think it was, oh. I, I, time has changed. Like I, I've reached this new dimension where time now doesn't exist, but does. And I just have no concept of, of time at this point. <laughs> so we can't really watch that here in the States. Do you want to talk about kind of the premise of the show? Yeah, so the show is essentially a cut-down version of 18 of the projects that have been on YouTube. And so it's, mm. it's, it's a shortened version of my YouTube videos that's kind of more suitable to a TV half hour. And it's currently only being played on history in the UK, um, history in Sweden also has the rights uh, to play it. They, uh, that, that, that's part of it. So eventually that'll be on History Channel in Sweden. Um, in terms of it playing in the US, there is no word on that happening imminently. You know, obviously it's one of those things where, you know, there has to be the, the, the demand from a buyer of the show, you know, from a network. Um, and then obviously, right. you know, then needs to kind of get sold into there. So it's, it's not necessarily the, it's, it's a whole new world and it's all sorts of different complexities <laughs> that are all very new to me. But um, currently it's only in the UK and in Sweden. And yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good fun. Hopefully it gets more eyes on, uh, eyes on blacksmithing. Yeah, and is this all footage that you've shot too? This is just your YouTube content? That's essentially it, yep. Wow. That's wow. great. Perfect. Yeah, it works well. So I think we've, well, we've all got questions for you, really. And if we've got a bunch of questions, we need... Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> I can Needs answer a jingle. your question. Needs a jingle. That that's, one's Carl again. That's Carl. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? I, I love He's it. got a great I, voice. Like, that's very unique. It's like a young Orson Welles. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> oh. Carl, I, he wanted to get involved. And, you know, I sent to Craig, I said, you know, we got to get him involved. He didn't understand the Jay Z one. He's, he didn't, he's like, who, who is that? And I'm like, I, I didn't I understand no either. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> yeah, well, now we got a pile of jingles. So. Well, I mean, I have a I have a stack of jingle. I have a stack of jingle. I have a stack of um, <laughs> questions for you, but I, I'd like to actually get more into you know what you're doing right now in regards to why the move to Montana and what's going on in Montana and what's your plan. Absolutely. Before I get into before I get into the listener questions, Brill. So I uh, I've I've loved America ever since I first visited when I was 13. I took a blacksmithing class in Mississippi from Brown, Brazil. I just thought it was the the coolest place. I've got a lot of friends in America and I've visited plenty of times and I've just always loved it. And so it's something that I've always really, really wanted to do to be able to move, but it's a very long, lengthy and expensive process. Um, and so, you know, it's the type of thing that takes a very long time to put in place and be able to make kind of reality and costs a lot of money to make the whole thing happen. So essentially... I've wanted to do it forever, and picking picking the right place in America is very difficult. I don't like the heat very much, um, and I visited Montana in January, and I thought it was just the most beautiful place um, with some amazing scenery and what have you. And I have a very, very good friend of mine, Will Stelter, who's a phenomenal bladesmith, as all of you guys here knows, and as I'm sure many of the listeners do. And so he's based in Montana. That's where I was visiting in uh, in January, and you know, I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, okay, this is a pretty cool place. This is a pretty cool place. I want to make this move happen. I want to move to the U.S. and make this happen because, um, firstly, I want to do it. Secondly, business is going to be much easier to get done in Montana than in 
the UK or anywhere in the US than in the UK because it opens up the doors for lots more sponsorship opportunities. It opens up right. the doors for much more collaborations, working with other YouTubers. And there's a much better, much larger talent pool of people to hire from to grow the team. Because my end goal is to really kind of grow the team and make this a lot more than, you know, just a uh, funky haired British kid making stuff and make it more, you know, more people <laughs> making things, making better projects, more projects. Because, you know, in terms of a scalable business model when every single bit of you know a company's revenue is dependent on me making something it's it's not it's not so smart and so i want to kind of get away from it all relying mm. on my input and my kind of eight hours of hand sanding say and be able to make things move a little bit faster and what have you and so uh right. you know I, I said to will i'm like hey you know this 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 would be i'm 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 down i'm tempted to move um do you want to come work with me as i get set up and so really his help has been just instrumental in this because he's been my kind of feet on the ground so to speak in montana um getting sure. things set up so back before i have a shop space already um in uh, in montana and so he was on the ground you know way back when uh, looking at different shop spaces looking around uh, and organizing those things while i'm here making videos and producing things and right now he's over there you know he's been organizing electric he's been organizing internet at the shop he's been organizing um getting a grinding room built and so hopefully by the time that i get there you know it's it's going to be close to uh, it's going to be close to ready to get up and running and it's not going to take months and months and months of preparation before we can get back in the regular swing of things and so his help's just been phenomenal and i'm very excited to have him on the team as uh, as our first kind of team member first person helping us make some great projects uh, because i want to i want to really kind of grow the team and have uh, you know several people working for me more video guys so that we can you know produce and film more content and then more people on the shop floor uh, like uh, like me and will making things and uh, getting those things filmed and ready to go up on youtube have you had any issues with um with visas anything like that at all enormous it's 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 a very very lengthy and a very expensive process and that's the mm. big that's the big question mark on being able to kind of move to the US and that was what took the longest time to organize um was organizing all of those things it's horrendously expensive and so it's uh yeah it's that's a huge issue <laughs> and do you have like uh so is your is your living space going to be close to your shop or is it connected I, 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 probably going to be close to the shop the shop's on a little industrial park and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to live super duper close, but I, I want to live, you know, 10 minute drive or so away. I think that'd be handy. And how does your family feel about you moving all the way to the United States? Well, I mean, they think it's great. You know, this is, this is something that I've wanted to do for a very long time. And I, I think they very much understand that. Not sad. No. Well, I mean, of course, it'll just like even, you know, it's just, everybody's going to be sad about something like that. My parents wouldn't have been sad. They'd been get out of here. I'm so happy. This is the happiest day of my life. Get out. So, so uh, why don't we get into it? Hey, man, can I ask you a question? You ready? Hell yeah, let's do All it. Right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? So the first question comes from um, a, fr a good friend of mine from uh, Philly, uh, Steve Pellegrino of Pellegrino Cutlery, and he asks, "What is a Spanish notch, and how can I make mine?" How can I make the most of mine? Is this for me? Yeah. What's this a Spanish notch? Yeah. Tell me about your Spanish notch. I usually do an Italian notch on, the, on my knives. What's the um, difference? 
I don't think that. I, I, I don't even no know idea. what that means. I, what I'm trying to do is pull a funny. I'm trying to be humorous. Get you should t- keep, keep doing it. I, I stumbled <laughs> over the Spanish notch joke, so might as well. We got to get it whatever we can. <laughs> do you do you guys know what a Spanish notch is? I have no idea. I think it's what they have. Like you normally see them on like hunting knives. You know where you're out in the field. So it's just that little notch in the in the. In the edge, the, the blade edge, yeah, right just between, sh- right between the plunge line and the blade, kind of half on the plunge line, half on yeah. the the edge itself. It's a little kind of you know maybe three sixteenths oh. round file job that just gets in there. And I've always thought that that's so that you can sharpen it a little bit easier. So when you're sharpening it, like on a stone, you don't rub up against your plunge line and destroy a nice nice plunge line. Now, yeah. What I did a little bit of research on a Spanish notch, and I'd always heard about a Spanish notch because I knew that it was kind of related to Bowie knives, and it was that whole idea, but that space between the heel of your blade and the and the and the guard, so you could catch ah. and catch a sword or something along those lines. And but I really wanted to know. I mean, you know, I was trying to make a euphemism joke, and that's that's how I do. So the whole thing is, is I was wondering because I know what you were saying. What would be the difference between a Spanish notch would be for like a Bowie knife for capturing other knives, but what's the difference between that and a choil? Because isn't that a choil? Is the is that the difference between where the plunge line is to the ricasso? I'd say pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I always imagined a Spanish notch to be basically a choil. All right, so that's what we're going to go with. All right, well, that wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be, but that's how we are. <laughs> you ready for the next question? Hey, man, can I ask you a question? This is not as humorous, but. Uh, What's the biggest mistake you've made whilst making a knife? That's by Crafted Knife Company. Whilst, he said, whilst making a knife. Is this for all of us? Yeah, go ahead. Let's make it happen. I've had so many mistakes that I really lose track. I mean, I, every day. <laughs> well, what's the I've, one I've that like, track. What's, what, what's that one that really kind of like sticks out in your mind? In recent memory, working on the Viking sword, only about two and a half months in, Right as I'm kind of getting close to doing it, I have this one piece of um, 5,500-year-old 5, bog oak, and I make the handle, and I spend a day, you know, just getting this thing to fit on the tang just ever so, ever so nicely. I spend a day just shaping it down ever so nicely so it just looks beautiful. It's all nice and straight to it all, and it's all lovely. And um, I then take it outside, and I'm having a look at it, trying to make sure that it all looks straight on the, on the sword with all the fittings. And my videographer points something out to me, which is the hole that was milled in the guard extended out an eighth of an inch past where the wood of the handle was tapered into, which meant that there was this hole seen in the the guard because the handle didn't cover it. That was a bad one. That was a very sad one because I then had to wait three or four days for a new piece of wood to arrive and then do the whole process over again, which went a lot faster the next time, but I certainly felt quite uh, quite bitter while doing it because that was a stupid mistake that really should have been avoided. Well, Mareka, what about you? Well, I, I wanted to make a comment really quick about Alex's, or Alex's uh, mistakes, and <laughs> not to make point, poke fun at him, uh, but more in an admir- admiration way. I think, it's, I think it's really amazing how openly you document and share your mistakes because I feel like through most of Instagram and I'm definitely guilty of it myself until recent history of kind of hiding all of those and being like no I'm perfect I make perfect knives and I never make mistakes and you've been so incredibly transparent uh I think that's one of the things that really 
it, that's one of the things that really is attractive about what you do and who you are and that you you show that you are human and that you are learning it. and I just wanted to say really quick that I really admire that and it's inspired me to do more of my own sharing of mistakes because realistically like that's where we learn the most and that's where like I guess the hardest lessons are learned best um is through making mistakes and so I just wanted to give I really you some appreciate that for that I really appreciate yeah. that. But I mean, don't give me too much credit. I just wouldn't have any sort of content made if I didn't show my mistakes. Because there's at least a couple <laughs> of them in every episode. It makes up about 50% of the content. I'd have a much worse YouTube channel. That last, <laughs> that, that last episode of uh, the Viking Sword, number 28, when you, oh. when you put on that hilt and you made oh, that kind of groan, one. that was that was I felt that in my stomach too. That was another one. And that's up there with, no, I think that's worse than the handle. Because the handle was an easy fix. So that was, I glued, glued the components with a 24-hour epoxy. And I thought it would be really smart to glue them, put them all on, and then hot-peen the tang. So that it was like, you know, it was all just as tight as possible while it was gluing up. The glue would set, and there'd be this beautiful, hot, riveted tang putting so much pressure on it. And I had it all wrapped up and soaked in water so that it wouldn't overheat. And I'd like, you know, I just took so much care in making sure I wouldn't damage it while I'm heating it with the torch. And so then I get the torch on it, I get the torch on it, and it, you know, I'm waiting for this little tang end to heat up without damaging the gold inlay that's like half an inch away from it. And it goes and a hammer and a hammer, 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 glancing blow hit one of the guards. That didn't make it into the episode. Um, hit one of the guards, which I then had to end up fixing. So almost all the mistakes end up in there, but sometimes it just ends up being like overload of mistakes. And so we have to decide like, okay, we're going to put this one in there. Otherwise people are just going to get annoyed that <laughs> every single thing has, a, has some sort of a thing that I have to fix. Um, but so I go hammering on this thing, hammering on it. I take a couple heats. I'm cooling it down with a spray bottle, hammering on it, hammering on it. And I take it out of the vice. I unwrap the wet, uh, the wet rags and I have a look at the end of it. And then I look down and I spot that the inertia of hammering on the tang had pulled the lower guard and the grip away from their seating. And there was now a quarter inch gap. That was way worse than the handle problem. Cause I then had to use my microscope and my jewelry tools to grind down gently without damaging all my gold inlay that was all around the area. The mushroomed tang had to grind that down and then pull everything off, clean everything and uh, fix the handle and fix my mess ups and then put it all back together. That, that one burnt. I mean, that really, really burnt that one there. That, that made yeah. me really quite sad. I will say that you added good music to that very tense moment and it was that was mm -hmm. i felt that i felt go watch number 20 go watch all the viking sword ones but number 28 has got real it's got real a cliffhangery it's got some juice in that one that one's a tough it's, one that's it's an emotional roller coaster that episode that's for sure go ahead craig what's your what's your biggest mistake you've made or one of them one of the yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty. Um, thankfully, nothing too catastrophic lately. So uh, I've been in almost sort of production mode. So I've had these these same knives that I've been working on for some time now. Um, so the most common, and I think it's the definition of stupid. I've done it more than once. Um, but you, so so you 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 pin on um one of the scales, one of one of the sides. So that's all epoxied up, and you put your pins through. 
then you put your second scale on and you realize that you've done it the wrong way so the pins are out of out of line you know and i've done that mm. more than once over the i'd say over the last two months and that's a real pain it's not it's not catastrophic you can just you can just pull them back off but then you've got you just got epoxy everywhere and it's just it's just a mess um so yeah so thankfully nothing too catastrophic but i'd say those you know back in the day those first you know 50 100 knives everyone was just littered with mistakes you know and as soon as you as soon as you make a new knife you immediately want to recall all your older knives because you think they're really bad um <laughs> but yeah i i i think i've been quite lucky they've been lapses of concentration really more than more than anything else sure well, well and that my my biggest I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made is along those lines with the hidden tang is accidentally grinding too deep into oof. the the pocket where the tang is bedded. Hmm. That's that's definitely happened at least a couple times and there it's really frustrating especially when a customer is provided the handle material oh, no. and it's literally like a one of a kind piece and then you have to break the news and Tell them what happened. It's oh, that's bad. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. But other than that, probably dropping that stupid knife on the tip. Nice, <laughs> <There's> nice. <laughs> that's probably been it. Well, it, I was gonna say for me, it was gonna be hand stamping upside down. That was pretty bad. But um, <laughs> I was doing, uh, yeah, you forge a knife out and then you hit it with your touch mark and then the touch marks upside down. I've done that a couple times. But actually, a few years ago, I was doing a production <laughs> set of knives with uh, Brian Voltaggio, Chef Brian Voltaggio, and I would put, I would cold stamp a V into the top of the knife. Well, I didn't realize that um, it was something about you know the V's the way of you know the way a punch moves. Any kind of punch is you're you're not it's not that material's going somewhere. And the V's mm-hmm. when I was punching the V's, it would it started this in, these cracks going up from the middle of the oh. V up to the top of the spine. I was too close to the spine, but I didn't realize that until after I heat treated them and I had cracked you know, four of them, four out of 12. So I had to oh, redo no. all four out of 12, but I, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known, but it, it really, you know, st- cold stamping is, is, is looks awesome. And I do it. I don't do it as much anymore, but I've had nothing but problems from cold stamping. And part of my, when I'd cold stamp the, the fracture, you know, the fractures would come from some of the cold stamp marks. So you don't know until the end, you know, and sometimes it gets too late. Yeah. Rough. Hey man, can I ask you a question? How do you line? This is comes from our buddy Ed Jits. How do you? This is actually a question. I love this question because I don't know either. How do you line up scales and pins on a tapered tang? All them angles confuse me. Drilling, etc. Well, I think I've only done probably two of those in my life. Well, those and two are going right. to be better than my none. So <laughs> let's do it. Well, I I think I didn't do anything different. I think I I think I just. Drill. I think I kind of super glued on the tang and then just drilled through. And I had, yeah, I don't think the ta- I don't think I don't think I remember the angle being so much that it messed up my uh, my pins too much. Yeah, it's it's such a small dimensional difference from I guess where the bolster area is down to the bottom of the tang. Unless it's crazy dramatic, I don't think I've I've never even taken that those different changing of angles into consideration ever. Uh, and I've I've always had really nice tight fit ups. Everything I did when I worked for Bob, it, they're all taper tangs, scales with Corby bolts, and it was just it was never so, an issue. So so what you're right? doing is is you're you're taking the scales and you're you're kind of like set you're you're setting them so they fit correctly, and then you're just drilling them. You're getting the, the tangs 
hot, so you're not you're not you're not drilling it before you heat treat. Mm. Yeah. So we, I, we would drill. I even now, if I were to do a, a full tang, I would drill the tang before heat treat, just so that's not something I'm messing with afterwards. Uh, and then those holes are obviously there. And so when I'm ready to drill the scales, I use those the the handle as a template, which I'm sure is similar to what you do for yours. Um, and I just I think, but for a tapered, I don't do anything different than if the the tang was not tapered. I guess. But you're but um, but so if I you because I know what you're saying because what I do is is I'll super glue my tang my my scales together just lightly and then I'll be able to radius uh, my bolster and get it prepared so then it looks the same and then right. I hold my knife scale. I hold my knife blade on top of the scales. I clamp it with a drill, and then I can use the the through holes as my where my mm-hmm. holes are. But if you're if you're right. doing that with the taper tang, you're when you separate the the scales, you're you're all of a sudden you're changing the you're changing the the angles of the pins. It's it, right. that's I the exact same same kind of thing that you're talking about, Mareko. It's just that that I, I think that what uh, Mareko and I are trying to say is that angle isn't hugely problematic right there you go there you go ed jits it's not problematic just drill it hey man can i ask you a question all right here this is from uh less slam key less slam key what's your favorite sword and what would be the best sword for a beginner maker with a bit of knife making experience well my favorite sword is definitely the viking sword just because that's the most recent one I've made, which means that there are the least problems with it. Um, <laughs> that's, I guess that's how it goes. You know, your favorite piece is always the last one that you did, usually, because hopefully that one's a little better than the ones before. Right. Um, in terms of the best sword for a beginner, I think that it would be probably a longer knife. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's the best thing to tackle as a beginner. I certainly did tackle swords as a beginner, and I made a little kind of, medieval style sword you know and it was okay but it's it's tough it's hard it's hard uh, to do with limited knowledge for sure all right hey man can i ask you a question uh this one comes from someone we all know this is gonna get ugly but that's fine um this comes from sharp and shiny shop aka tom McLean, and he's trying to give us trouble so we're gonna give it back to him do we need more hands and chef's knives pictures? Not more hands per picture, but more hashtag knife handpicks. What's your opinion on the knife handpick there, Alec? I think that's great. Uh oh. <laughs> <is gonna, laughs> we got problems. Well, well, here's the here it actually, without making too many jokes, it's gonna work because you're in the content business. A lot of these guys are in the knife selling business. And I this is a controversy that I court happily because I never take on controversy I can't talk my way out of. And I said in a couple of episodes ago that the knife hand pick has got to stop. And the only I'm I'm only now I'm down to it's Nick Anger and that's it. Nick Anger, he <laughs> owns the knife hand pick. Everybody else, you gotta figure something else out. And my point was is stop copying other people, but the other thing is is your buyers don't want to look at your disgusting hands. But, you know, I think, I think everybody that's got an Instagram profile is in the content business to a certain extent because mm-hmm. the only way you get anybody following your Instagram profile is if they appreciate and value the content, you know? And Absolutely. I think that so much, of, so much of the reason that anybody buys any knife maker's work is part 
part of that is the actual individual knife maker themselves. And it's knowing that, the, you know, it's this guy that made it. And I think that hands are very nicely emblematic of that. They symbolize the craft process. They symbolize the fact that it's like, this was made by hand. Here are my beat to crap hands. You know, they look disgusting, you know, but they look like they've just made this knife and they did just make this knife. And that's part of the story that I think gets a lot of people excited to, to buy a knife. I don't think, and I think that anybody with, a, with an Instagram page at all, even if all they're doing is making knives, is in the business of, of producing content and, you know, telling a story in a certain extent, because the only way you get people to follow you is if you're providing value, just like the only way you get someone to buy a knife is if that knife is a provision of value to the person that's buying it. And I think if it helps, if it helps get people interested, I think it's great. I think you know? it's about the, the context of the pick as well, because... We've seen the when you talk about hand picks specifically. I mean, Jeff's talked about this where people are laying the blade across their forearm like there's some psycho, you know. But if it's a, yeah. if, it's a if it's a chef's <laughs> knife, why not have it in action? You know, maybe cutting cutting an onion, cutting a tomato, wherever it may be. Um, I think it, yeah, it's all about context. So you know, don't lay a knife across your forearm because that's just when would you ever do that in the real world? But if if you're actually using it as you'd use a chef knife, great. And I've never taken issue with it because from my own experience of photographing uh, knives, it's I, it's I struggle with getting the right lighting and, and trying to set up like a table or anything in our shop is just not realistic. And especially when I'm not trying to also make it my career uh, to take this one photo, I just hold the damn thing so that the light is coming off of it properly um, so that people, because I care more about people being able to actually see the knife and see the figure of the pattern and the handle material. Uh, that's more important to me than what my stupid hands look like. Listen, listen, I appreciate all the things that you guys are saying. And Alec, I have nothing but respect for you and the words that you said, eloquent as always, but this time you're wrong. And this is the reason why you're wrong. Guys like Tom... Guys like Tom, they take their knife and they stick it in their palm and they put the heel, the edge into their palm and they spread their fingers out. And what they're doing is they're advertising false information. And the false information is they're trying to tell you they got a big piece in their pants. And that's what this comes down to. <laughs> and, and really what's going on is this is what this is. This is, and I've talked to the big man about this, and he's in agreement. This is, this is, you're, you're doing false advertisement. You're doing the whole big hand thing, and I ain't, I ain't buying it. And the other thing is, is your customers ain't buying it. So if you've got your fingers out, and your big fat thumbs sticking out, and your disgusting hands, you know, you're, you're going to lose customers. They don't want, they, they, and no customer has ever said, I like your knives, but the reason why I bought yours is because I liked seeing your hands. Ain't going to happen. So with that I said. See. So it's when the hand is drawing focus away from the knife. Well, I don't have a problem with people about? using their hands. And trust me, every single one of these knife makers listening to this is going to at mention me. I get at mentioned about the goddamn hand pictures all the time. And I've had it. <laughs> but in this case, I'm sticking to my guns here. Stop I it. I just with think you've got to get your head out the gutter. Well, we just went through the Spanish notch problem, no problem. I think we can go through this hand <laughs> problem, no problem, too. 
All right. Well, uh, do you know what? I'd, I'd say it's not just hands either. And actually, I had a tip from Alec when I went down to Alec's workshop. He gave me a tip because I was just launching the, the steak knives. And I had these pictures taken. And one was with a, with a rare steak. And I had my knife laying across this, this uncooked steak. Um, and Alec made a really good point of, you know, you need this to be a cooked steak. You need this to look inviting. You want people to look at it and go, man, I want that knife to go with, with my steak. Um, and, you know, let's not even talk about the cheese with the beef. But uh... Oh, you've got to eat. You've got to eat steak with cheese. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Alec. <laughs> you, thank oh you. Alec, Alec, thank you got to stop it. You got to stop it. You're going to Montana now. You're going to Montana now. You start talking about putting brie on your steak and they're going to throw you right out. Jeff, have you right never out. had brie or camembert on your steak? Mm. You guys are oh, dealing, camembert. guys. You it's guys, the best. You know what? It's the best. You guys, I'm, I'm, on, I'm a hold to my guns on this. If you have <laughs> brie cheese on your steak, you got some shitty steak. And I didn't want to curse because I know Alec is a very wholesome person. I didn't want to do it, but you guys are getting me to the point where I don't have much of a choice here. You don't put. If you have to smother your steak in brie cheese you got a piece of shit on your plate okay and that's what They're you're trying about to do camembert though Mareko, it's like a creamy blue stay cheese stay out of it it's not a creamy blue cheese it's like a blue cheese you compound butter that people you, finish their uh, filet mignon with if you're eating filet mignon you can take a ride too because that's bullshit steak too so let's just don't <laughs> you're playing with fire here and in this situation the beef police well, no, I mean, what's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong, and in this situation, you <laughs> might be wrong, that's all. When, when you visit me in Montana, I'll make sure we've got some camembert, and we, we, we won't tell anybody about it. Let me okay? tell you something. It's going to be a secret in case, you know, in case you don't want to admit to the world that really this is the best thing in the world. Alec, I'm telling you this. It. I'm telling you this is peace and love. They don't have camembert in Montana. Those I will fun. order it from France if All I've right, got yeah, to. Yeah, go, go ahead. Go, I'm with you. I'm with you. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> hey, man, can I ask you a question? All right. What is the most reliable way to test? This is from Gumbineer's Custom Knives. What's the most reliable way to test a knife's Rockwell hardness without an expensive tester? That's a good question. Files. I used files for, you know, a couple of years. Just get the, um, the Rockwell files. Um, and as soon as it starts biting in, you know you've hit your limit. My opinion about the files are they start to go. And when a file starts to go, then they're not as accurate as they could be. Uh, I would advise that you send it to somebody or make friends with somebody who has a Rockwell hardness tester. Because especially if you're working with a steel that builds up carbide banding, like a stainless, it's hard to get reliable readings with uh with either the files or the chisels because it's cutting through the medium irregularly versus uh, because of those carbide bands um, versus a, a, a Rockwell hardness tester, I think is just, you kind of got to, if you really want to know what's happening, you got to send it to somebody who can help you test it out, whether it's a big facility or if it's your homie uh, in the next state over um, it's going to be really important that, you get that as accurate as possible. And I'm just wondering, how, how do you guys test yours? Do you, do you have your own testers? I have a chisel. I have a tester myself. I have chisels from uh, Matt Parkinson. And I love them very much. So I'm kind of a chisel like man. A, a set of chisels of different hardness and you give yeah. a little knock in and if it dents, you're like, ah, oh, this is this. Right. It actually, I was talking to him. I was up at uh, Mareko's shop at Dragon's Breath Forge and, he, and Matt makes them and he was uh, telling me that 
he passed him by uh, Kevin Cashin, who said that they're great, and and really that's the case. Yeah, it's it's a stack of them, and each one's a different hardness. And if you start to dig in, that means you're kind of uh, you're you know you're if you well, as soon as you start to dig in, if like you use the sixty two and you start to dig in, you're one step down below that. And I do agree with what uh, Mareko's saying, but I think what this guy's making the point of is you know he wants to know what's going on, and I think that when you do, especially with with cooking knives and whatever chopping knives, you do want to have a better idea of what's going on. But you know those Rockwell testers are not cheap, you know, and and it's like. No. It's one of those things that can be very difficult, and and I'm not a hundred percent sure, especially with culinary knives, if you know the Rockwell tester is going to be that important to your customer, depending on who your mm. customer is. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're dialing in your your heat treat, and it's quite important to you know to to check every now and again. So I've got one of those little cheap rebounders ones. They're sort of six hundred dollars from from China. Um, and at first I thought maybe they're not too accurate, but I've sent a few out to a local shop to be tested and they're, they're pretty accurate. They're within sort of half a point maybe on the Rockwell yeah. scale. Oh, wow. So, so they're pretty cheap. Um, I say they're all over sort of, you know, all those stores where you can buy stuff online. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm not going to mention names because we had That's some stick last week. Yeah. I'm going to be vague about that, but you you can find them. Um, unless you've got somebody locally who can make one for you, of course. <laughs> Hey man, can I ask you a question? All right. This one comes from Teach Ag Mech. And this one is a good one. How do you guys heat treat slash quench a stainless integral chef's knife? I'm mm. passing this off to someone else. Yeah. Out of my desk. <laughs> Mareko, come on, baby. I I guess that's me. Uh I've I've heat treated into oil, hardened into oil. Um now, heated you, oil now, as well. Well, that one of the things about stainless, and I think that's what he's getting at, is you know when you're heat treating and quenching uh, stainless. <clears throat> pardon me. You know, generally speaking, you're 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 either wrapping the stainless steel in foil, or mm-hmm. you know, in order to kind of prevent the oxygen from like affecting the steel or carburization or, or scale, and then usually you know, especially if it's a flat. Obviously, if it's a flat knife, I think what he's getting at is. Um, you're quenching between plates, and you're mm-hmm. with a com- Normally, with compressed yeah. air. So I think I think yeah. the idea okay, is so I can elaborate. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so for especially because uh, what uh, Jeff was getting at because of the integral bolster, you can't just slap it in between some plates. Right. You, I guess you kind of could could. Uh, you just have to keep the integral portion of the 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 knife out, um, but that also I'm not sure how that would affect the overall thing but i so i heat treat uh out of a, a argon purged kiln and so heat treating out of argon purged kiln or out of salts or in a, in a stainless steel kind of envelope to help prevent any un- unnecessary uh decarburization of the material because you do have to take st- stainless up to a much more dramatic uh temperature like what like what are you you're doing from like 1750 1925 what are you doing jeff uh i'm doing uh it depends if it's uh sometimes 1950 sometimes it's just right at 1900 yeah okay yeah and depending on the stainless it's it's gonna vary but basically you're taking up to a crazy temperature uh so you do want to try to keep it in as much of an oxygen-free environment as possible 
Um, but I've actually, based, because of the way I thermocycle my knives before I do a heat treat, I've had knives uh, ground to, uh, let's see, maybe I think about 40 uh, thousandths of an inch along the cutting edge, full distal taper, integral bolster, heat treated into oil out of an argon purge kiln, came out dead nuts straight, no problems. And then went uh, into a snap temper, uh, and then into a sub-zero, and, and then back into a snap temper, or back into a full temper, uh, back into a kiln. But I it, I think the biggest reason people like the, uh, the, what is it, the aluminum plates is because it does draw the heat out so quickly, but also it helps kind of make sure that things are staying straight. But um, but you're not you're not when you're when you're quenching with aluminum plate. I mean the whole idea between aluminum plates and it's not just the straightness, but you know the difference between quenching in oil, quenching in water, and quenching between plates mm-hmm. is the rate of which the uh, sure. the art the the weight in which the, that particular alloy has the the uh, austenite transforming into martensite. It needs a specific uh, a specific um, uh, quickness that the that the you know the aluminum is going to be a lot slower than than the than than water right if you're quenching if you're if you're quenching in a plate it's not going to be as fast as as quenching in water or oil is it yeah i i, I think it's quicker for oil isn't it it's quicker than oil that's quick, where you use you think aluminum plates are quicker you think aluminum plates are quicker than oil I think that for initial suck of yeah, I mean you're not getting it back down to room temperature. I think it's just that initial drop of temperature. That's what I always assumed. That's what I always assumed. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I would assume that it would be slower because it's it's when you're between the plates, you're not you're get you're drawing it out from the sides, whereas as opposed to dropping it in oil or water, you're changing your your your. I don't know. I, that's a good question. I'd be interested to know. We gotta get Kevin Cashin on here. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> Kevin Cash. You should I think definitely. It's all that's down a good to question. The, the viscosity of the of the oil, isn't it? So obviously, it, yeah. it heats up the the oil or the water that's immediately surrounding the blade, which is why obviously you normally sort of you know move it back and forth. Um, right. But from my understanding, it was always you use plates because it just it just sucks off that heat so much quicker that initial mm-hmm. burn of heat, you know. There you go. Well, but I guess to ask his answer his basic question, I quench in oil. <laughs> or, but you know what? I liked I like the idea. I like the idea of quenching between plates, but just keeping the bolster out because really you don't need that bolster to be, you know, sixty three Rockwell. You know what I mean? That's true. You know, there's no. There is a concern though between the cooling rates, especially if it's a stainless Damascus like from Damasteel or somebody else, um, because it will etch differently. Um, ah. not, it, it won't etch as sharp ah, if it, mm. if it is uh, if it's much softer than the blade material, and you'll see that very distinct transition. Uh, and ultimately, it, it doesn't affect the function of the knife, but aesthetically speaking, it might not be what somebody wants. Well, there mm. you go. There you go. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Now, <clears throat> one of our one of the things we have very very high level listeners. High-level knife maker listeners, but sometimes they don't ask high-level questions. So this comes from Chris Adelhart, who is a.k.a. Pariah Knives. Now, if you know Pariah Knives, he does some of the best grinding, finished grinding I've ever seen in my life. He's unbelievable. And this is the question that this goddamn genius has to say. Where do babies come from? This is what we get. (laughs) This is what we get. 
in the gutter. We're in the gutter well, again. Well, I mean, you know, he's got a couple on the way. Right, well, that was that. I didn't. Didn't Carl have a couple questions? He did. He did. These are. Sp- I think these are specifically for Alec. Yeah. Let's have a listen. Yo, Alec, I got a question for you, man. Are there any downsides to Damascus whatsoever? Now, I just want to say, I want to, yo, Alec, man. I want to, I I have to tell you, I have to tell you this. When I talked to him, I was like, I said to, I said to Craig, I said, Craig, I think, I think, uh, um, I think Carl wants to ask a couple questions. So he's like, yeah, we'll have him record him. So I, when I told him, he was excited. He's just like, when he said, he's like, hey, Alec, yo, Alec, man. And I was, I was, I said, where did you get this street accent? What, what is the yo, man? (laughs) What is going on here? I'm like, I'm keeping it, but what's going on? Are you trying, is that, that's not you. That's not how you talk. Play it one more time. One more Yo, time. Alec, I got a question for you, man. Are there any downsides to Damascus whatsoever? And then and you see, he's talking to a fellow young person. And the, yeah, well, you know, that's he's he hip said. and cool and, <laughs> and 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 youthful like me. You know what I'm saying? That's what he said. Yo. That's what he said to me. He's like, that's how I talk to my friends. I'm like, don't tell me. You don't, you don't talk to your friends. Say, hey, man. Yo, man. You didn't talk like that. But go ahead, answer his question. Well, I mean, are there any downsides to Damascus? You can you can mess it up and have uh, imperfections in the material if you're not cleaning your cleaning the stuff quite as well um so that's that's a problem that can be one on thing- a knife you know the finish of the, the the actual surface of it has a positive and negative you know which i don't know if that affects the way that it cuts you can always do a shallower etch and it obviously takes a hell of a lot longer to make than a mono steel blade and mm-hmm. you know you've got to care for it I've got a question which is which is similar to Carl's there actually. So with a Damascus blade you're obviously etching away the um one of the steels. Yep. Does that mean you're not going to have a finish which is as um standard as if you're using a mono steel blade? So are you then likely to get more maybe bacteria hiding in the blade? Do you have to look after it in a different way? I think Morocco uh, would, would have no. the best idea on that. Yeah, I would say no. And it's just because it is textural, much more textural hmm. than you would experience with a monosteel blade because they have usually have a really nice high finish on them. Uh, but you do have to do some etching to reveal that pattern. But it's not so dramatic and so deep that you can't get in there with a sponge and some soap. Um, so I've, I've, I have one of my own knives. Uh, I've had it for going on five years now. I've never had an issue with moisture getting trapped in it or food getting trapped in it uh, yeah. and getting all nasty. I do think that it's possible for sure, especially if it's etched super deep. Uh, but there, then there, then you're getting into issues of drag uh, where that texture is actually creating more resistance and more friction in the food that you're cutting, um, which is not ideal. Well, one yeah. thing I remember, I went to a, I went to a, I went to JB Prince with Moreco and he was talking to customers about um, Damascus knives. And one thing that I did remember pick up that he said that I'd like you to elaborate on is that the edge wears differently because you're, you have two different steels and you end up with like slight, yeah. slight micro perforations or serrations, I should right, say. Yeah. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So straight off the stone, a Damascus knife and a mono steel knife will cut and perform almost exactly the same. Um, but then, but the, the difference happens over time and it is because the Damascus steel, uh, even though the two steels that the, that the Damascus is made from are very, very similar, except for one has the addition of some nickel, which makes it 
resist it and present silver in the pattern. Um, they're, they're almost exactly the same, but because they are slightly different, they do heat treat just slightly differently or they react to the heat treat just slightly differently. And so they will wear just a little differently over time, but it's, it's actually really interesting, especially if you don't need, and we talked about kind of, uh, quality of cut in presentation meat or presentation, presentation food last week. Um, if you if you're not concerned about that, a, a Damascus knife, as it kind of wears differently over over time and use between sharpenings, it actually feels like it cuts more aggressively as you work with it more, which is is always tripped me out. And it does feel like it stays sharper longer because of that kind of uh, it's micro serration, those those kind of more aggressive serration that kind of develops. Uh, at the cutting edge, and it's nothing crazy dramatic. It's actually very difficult to see with the eye, but it's it. There is a definite difference there, and uh, you know. So I think over time in use, the so the difference between that the Damascus and and the mono steel is the mono steel will wear more evenly and consistently because it's just one type of steel, um, and so those teeth and the edge will wear down more consistently. But because the Damascus, especially if the pattern goes all the way to the edge, um, versus like a samurai. Um, that pattern will actually create kind of a more aggressive cutting edge. Gotcha. I hope that helps. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I think we've got another another one from Carl. I think. What's um, up, Carl? What the hell is Doys? Ah, Doys. <laughs> Doys is dust and noise. Mm. That's it. All right. There Love you it. have it. So, Carl's so all it squared away. Context. That's all it. That's it. What context is that used in? It's used in I'm going into the grinding room to make some doys. Mm. Very good. Very good. I will be making sense. dust and noise. Bring on the doys. Very good. Isn't it's that like, funny? Oh my goodness. It's like lunch and dinner. This show. Lunch and dinner, Very right? Or not lunch and dinner, lunch and lunch and breakfast. Lupper. Brunch. <laughs> Brunch. Just the same. Ooh. All right, so this week I'm going to be talking about hidden tang handle construction. And one of the biggest concerns about doing a hidden tang handle construction, especially if you're new to knife making, is accidentally grinding down into that slot. And so my two cents of advice is once you uh, drill the knife and you cut out the profile, I start by uh, grinding that profile in and I take it up to about 220 and then I don't mess with the actual edge, the profile of the handle until the last little bit of polishing and finishing up in the handle. And that I've had an issue of accidentally grinding into the pocket that you drill out um, for that hidden tang uh, construction. And so to prevent that from happening, to up my chances of success, I just don't mess with the parameters or sorry, the perimeter the perimeter, the profile, the handle until the very, very end where I'm only just taking the, the slightest little bit off to take it up to an even finish with the rest of the handle. Otherwise, I avoid it because it is too easy to get caught up with handle sculpting and shaping and grind right down into that area, right into that pocket. And you can see either the pocket because, uh, you know, the handle material is a different color from the... Um, the glue or you can actually see the tang and it's just heartbreaking because you put all this time 
And you are also, you know, the handle material can be really nice and expensive or it could be somebody else's handle material. Um, and then you just completely have ruined it by cutting into there. So um, I say avoid any of those areas until the very, very, very last little bit, um, possibly even doing it by hand just to make sure you're not grinding away material too quickly. Great stuff. Great stuff. So we're going to talk about our uh, one of our sponsors for the show. So they've sponsored the last three shows. Um, but, um, you know, their sponsorship deal was for three shows. But they're so incredible, we're going to talk about them again. So it's Soul Ceramics. Um, and everybody knows that we love our even heats. We're always talking about our even heats. But Soul Ceramics have a special discount. So already their even heat kilns are massively discounted, hugely discounted. But if you use the promo code Knife Talk, um, you get an additional additional fifty dollars off. So, as an example, if you were to order one of the new LB18s, list price is nineteen sixty five dollars. Um, you would get it for just fifteen seventy one, which is a twenty five percent discount. So, if anybody's mm. thinking of getting an even heat, now's the time. I said the sponsorship is finished, but they're going to extend it just 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 for us. Um, so get on to Soul Ceramics. Which it's soulceramics.com. Um, also use that promo code of Knife Talk to get the additional $50 and get yourself an even heat. There you Hello. go. There you go. Craig's Community Showcase. So we've got another maker to showcase this week. And this is a strange one. He's already been on the show as a guest in the past. But where I'm calling this one as a, a bit of a homage to our special guest today, to Alec. So today's highlight is Will Stelter. Um, so I say it's, Will has already been on the show. His work is incredible. If you can see that at um, on Instagram, he's Will underscore, underscore Stelter. Um, and it's also willstelterbladesmith.com. I think it used to be Stelter Edgeworks or something like that, but it's mm-hmm. it's willstelterbladesmith.com now. Amazing, amazing work. Um, and Alec mentioned earlier that he'll be working with him as part of the the, the Alec Steele team, if you like. Um, so just want to tell us a little bit more about that, Alec, how that's going to work. So it's it's going to be great fun because, you know, he's going to be able to head up a lot of the projects that, uh, that we work on because obviously he is just phenomenally skilled, phenomenally skilled with you know, an amazing eye for detail, you know, his work is really good. And of course, you know, there are, the great thing is, is, you know, there are some things that I know, you know, like running a mill and, you know, things that he hasn't picked up yet. And so it's going to be fun to kind of have that play off a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the different strengths that we have, he's obviously a lot better at the knife making side of things than I am. And so it's, it's going to be exciting having him work with us as we make swords and other knives and other fun projects. And he very much wants us to make a ballista. So we might be making a ballista too. We'll see. What's a ballista? A ballista, I believe, is some sort of projectile throwing device, ancient <clears throat> projectile throwing device, like big crossbow. Am I, am I thinking of the right thing? Oh, I thought it was like when you, uh, I thought it was Montana for getting something wrong with, you know, you have that sore spot on your hand from forging, you're getting a ballista. <laughs> no, that's, I you think, think that's Baltimore. <clears throat> all right, sorry. I thought they served coffee. <laughs> A barista. All right, all right. This is this is right. shitty joke time. Here we go. <laughs> shitty joke time. That was time. a bit of a reach there. Oh, they were all bad. It was a bit. They were all bad. Onto something. Onto something new. They were all bad. Every so one Alex, 
going to be building a new shop, as we've heard. Yes, it sir. really got me thinking about that. If I were able to build, you know, the perfect shop from the ground up, what would it be like? So I'm just wondering whether you guys have given that any thought um, and what would be in your perfect shop? What would the setup be? Let's go with Mareko first. Uh, I think in my perfect shop, I would love to, well, definitely 2x72 grinder. Uh, I would love to have a hydraulic press because they're just so incredibly versatile. Uh, Power hammer alongside that would be ideal. And I think weight-wise, I would shoot for somewhere between 100 and 200 pounds. Um, You know, a nice, ideally, an end mill would definitely change my game, uh, as well as a lathe. A nice uh, vacuum system to help keep everything the air nice and clean would be ideal. And then uh, I think a, a clean room, uh, somewhere to keep uh, all the dirties out of, I guess, all the dust, all the all the doys. Um, and I think I think that's like uh, big machineries wise. That's that's basically it. Hmm. What's what's the goal, Jeff? What's the ideal dream shop? I mean, I, I you know, the, my first the first metal shop that I was really in was the Center for Metal Arts, which was also fine architectural metalsmiths, and I love their the layout, the old the old one. That that's actually where I first met Alec. Is that layout was my favorite shop because they had a blacksmith section that was separated out from the fabrication section, and I really always just and it was big, and the blacksmith area had this big gate the uh, big uh, roll doors that you could open up and you could kind of ventilate it easy and it was just like it was very separate in terms of the school area and the and the sh- and the fabrication area and i've always liked that layout particularly um yeah, that I'm, was a beautiful setup they had there that's for sure yeah i was there for five years and it was like before before pat was there it was like yeah. it was the I, the funny thing is is when I first went over there, I, I was a welder and I was uh, I was doing fabrication for other sculptors. And when I went over there, I was always stunned at how clean it was. It was like surgical precision, and and I just I've always liked, you know, they had a couple MIGs, they had a couple TIGs, and and they had the, the all the stuff you need, and it was just everything was very set up in a manner that was very uh, there was a great flow in that shop, and you know you could separate out the forging stuff from the fabrication, and I've always liked that. I mean, all the tools. I mean, I want all the tools. But I mean, uh, you know, other than that, I think layout of a shop is really important. And that's what, when in my shop, it's similar in terms of just very, a layout that you can be comfortable in. And and you're not just, you know, clogging everything up with everything. You know, just having a nice layout, light, you know, something that makes you fired up to be in there is kind of more important to me than anything else. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've given this lots of thought, so I've got a full list here. This is like a big oh, nice. Christmas Christmas list. So, separate grinding room, um, a little showroom with the workshop visible for customers so they can see me working. Um, great dust collection, both on the machines and in the air as well. Um, I'd like tool storage by each sort of relevant station, so the relevant tools are where you need them. I'd like it to be temperature controlled. I, I, I don't know whether you could have aircon in a shop, whether that would work or whether that would clog up. I don't know. Um, this is not I'd a blacksmith. A- You're not. That's why I know you were. No blacksmith exactly. is ever My, is never worried removal. about the temperature. It's either hot <laughs> or it's cold, and that's it. Yeah, I, I'm not done yet. I've got I've got All a right. big big list. Um, a polished concrete floor, um, so it can be swept easily. But I'd want cushion mats on the areas where you know constant use areas. Um, I want two grinders always set up, 
two drill presses always set up running at different speeds, obviously for wood and for steel. I'd want a small mill. I'd want a small table saw. I'd want a couple of even heats, one for heat treat, one for tempering. Two bandsaws, one for steel, one for wood. Air compressor blowguns or ones on every station, just for clearing things down. Um, I'd, I'd like a hand sanding boy like Jeff has. Can't have um, Can't have him. You never all. You can't, have, you can't have Carl. He has a name. Can't have Carl. <laughs> yeah, I don't call him the hand sanding boy. Thank you very much. Got him. Give Carl some respect. Hey, you gotta you gotta respect him, otherwise you'll have J hooks in your blades. Yes. Yeah, yeah. no J hooks over here, baby. Fifth Avenue Craig, keep going. Um, <laughs> um a gas forge setup under an extraction hood. Um, because that's something I really want to sort of have fun doing. Um a sink. A sink in the shop would be so useful. Um, which I don't have at the moment. Um simple things like bins everywhere next to every station have a bin. That's a good one. I have little buckets that I and I have kind of three or four of them around different parts of the shop. That's a super helpful thing. Yeah. As well as like a main bin. Yeah. I think it would just help me keep things tight. Because at the moment the sandpaper just it's just thrown on the floor when it's done. You know, oh, yeah. you've got to have one right next to you so that every time a piece yeah. of sandpaper is used, it only goes in the bin. That's otherwise it's just chaos. I know that one. Craig, don't you yeah. have like a keg in your shop? I do. That, that's, oh, that's an essential. Oh, oh, yeah. You forgot about that part. Fifth Avenue, Craig, keep going. Um, a photography area uh-huh. with great lighting yeah. and a choice of backgrounds and props and so on. Um, light, lots of natural light, which can be screened off um, if, you, you know, if I were to be forging. Um, yeah, so I've got this huge list. And over time, I'm going to try and tick off as many of them as I can. What about the dairy that you can make your own cheese? You can make your own camembert. <laughs> camembert, yeah. You know? Fifth Avenue Craig. Cow. That definitely needs to be on the list. Fifth Avenue Craig. I love Fifth <laughs> Avenue Craig. It's so good. You've got to have dreams. If you don't have a dream, how are you going to have a dream come true? Dang. Fifth it. Avenue Craig. The shop of shops. So I think, I mean, we're well over the hour, but I think we've just got enough time for beefs. Where's the beef? The beef? I love a beef. Jeff, you must have a beef this week. You want me to go first? Okay. Well, listen. Go for it. Listen. Last, I, I, here's what I here's what drives me crazy. But it's something that I think a lot of knife makers get. And the funny thing is, is with Alec here, he gets it all the time. Which is when you meet someone and you tell them that you're a knife maker, the first thing they say is, "Hey, you know what you should do." And I'll tell you what, this is an expression that comes from a couple, hey, you're a knife maker and their eyes open up and they say, you know what you should do? You should make tactical tomahawks. Or hey, you know what you should do? You should make me a samurai sword. And I get this all the time. And here's what, here's what this is. There's two, I'm going to just, I'm not going to talk about the, what is said. I'm going to say where it's coming from. A lot of times this is coming from two places. One is I don't do this, but this is what I would do. Or... I want you to do this, and I want to be involved. A lot of times, uh, you get mm. people like, you know what you should do? You should do this, and then you can. Then 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 they say, I have, I ha- I helped him. I helped him figure that out, and and you have a little bit of. But what it really comes down to is people just could. It just it it is something that like, it gets a little annoying to the point where my brother in law, every time he sees me, he says, you know what you should do? You should make me a samurai sword. And the first thing I say is, what are you going to do with it? And he goes, well, you know, I defend my home or something. And I was like, are you out of your mind? Are you totally out of your mind? Or another guy said to me, 
You know what you should do? You should make tam- t- tactical tam- tomahawks. And I said, what is a tactical, why, what would you do for tactical tomahawks? And he goes, well, you know, it's good for close quarter combat. And I said, <laughs> and I said, I said, you're an accountant. What are you worried about close quarter <laughs> combat for? You're never going to be in that position, nor would I hope anyone would be in that position. So when you, when you, and I know all you guys out there, you hear that. Just, you just got to like, all right, well, you know what I should do is I should walk away from this conversation. There's my beef. They just want to be heroes, Jeff. They want to be heroes. I don't want, I don't need, I don't want them to be my hero. I'm not interested in, I've had, I have enough heroes. I have enough heroes and I've, I've, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Don't tell me what I should do. I won't tell you what you should do. I like that. Morocco. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? All right, so uh, my beef is actually kind of along the lines of Jeff's a little bit. Um, and that's part of the reason I, I like doing the uh, notes to a young knife maker is to try to get some tips and some advice out and also why I like, share some of my process on Instagram. Um, but my beef is with people um, who have done no research of any kind, have never taken a class, and then they say... Uh, they see the stuff I share and they, oh, do you mind, can you make a video of how uh, you make that pattern exactly? Uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to take my first knife making class, uh, but I, I plan on taking it on and continuing on and making Damascus in the future. And do you, could you just throw a video together? And I'm like, oh my God, like, that, do you realize or understand how much work that is to do that? Alec knows how much. Oh, I can only imagine is, what but crazy questions Alec I, gets. I mean, it it not only takes sometimes three or four days just to make the steel, but then to throw video around that, I imagine makes it take it twice as long at least. And so, um, unless you're one take Charlie, unless you're one take Charlie, you don't mind. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I think my beef is just uh, it frust. I get frustrated when people reach out, and uh, again, it's not that I, I I don't. It's not that I don't like people looking for advice and help, but it's like do do a little work first, please. Well, can, you, can you try like take actually take the class or you know watch some videos or read up on it. You know, put together a little forging setup of your own. Try some stuff and then come to me and say, okay, so this is what I've tried. This is where I'm struggling. Is it possible that you could offer advice? At that point, I'm happier. And more readily, I'm more interested in helping somebody when they've they've put some work forth forward themselves instead of, uh, like I said, like people who've done nothing. And and again, I'm not trying to discourage people from asking for advice, but you know, you gotta you gotta do a little, you gotta get your hands dirty a little bit before you're asking for, you know. Five days worth of work in making a Damascus video or something like Listen, that. Listen, you give it, they, you give an inch and they take a mile. You gotta, you gotta say, yeah. leave me alone. That's my favorite. Thing and you know, say. you know what? Alone. That that brings us on to the the questions that we answer on the show. So it yeah. may not seem like it to many people. We actually put a lot of work into answering these questions. We talk about it throughout the week and we make notes right. and you know, it's a lot of work goes into it, but. Inevitably, we always got questions coming back to us regarding the question that we've answered on the show. Sure. Um, and I know Jeff has talked about it in the past. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't mean to be rude because we appreciate every question that comes in and we appreciate Absolutely. all the listeners. Um, but we're getting a bit overloaded with questions referring back to questions we've already answered. 
So I think the best place for that really is just on the forum. Go to forum.knifetalk.net and there's, a, sure. wealth, there's a wealth of people there who can answer the question probably better than us. Um, but we don't really have time to go back to re-answer questions over and over again. Um, so, yeah, so maybe maybe take a look at the forum um, and hopefully there's people there that can help you too. Hey, Craig, I'll be rude. I'll be rude for all of us. Guys, <laughs> leave us alone. Yeah, we're doing the best we can well, here. We're trying to be a, a little bit entertaining, a little bit, you know, but you, you got to stop. You got to stop with the nonsense. I get, oh, what's your hand sanding technique? Oh, could you be a pal? Can you be a pal? No, I can't be a pal. I'm not going to be a pal right now. I'm trying to have a conversation with some friends of mine and you're, you're there to listen. If you want to ask a question, go to the forum, but don't stop. Stop driving us crazy. Okay. <laughs> I just want to add, uh, Will... Will Stil- Stelter is a perfect example of somebody asking questions, but he's also put forward his own efforts and trying to figure out answers on his own first. He he's a psychopath, I think, because he tries to hand <laughs> he actually he hand forges a large round stock crew forge V, which is not a friendly steel to forge. He does it by hand, forging integral bolster uh, chef's knife. If somebody tells me they've been doing that and show me a picture, that's that's impressive. Yeah. And then if he's got a question, I'm happy to answer because he's put forth some serious energy and effort to try to forge this out. If he's got any question, not necessarily about that, but just whatever, I'm happy to be like, yo, dude, that's impressive. Yeah, what do you got? Fire at me. But if you haven't done anything, like try try figuring it out on yourself, on your own first, or do some research before just reaching out. Because the reality is, uh, not just myself and Jeff and Craig or Alec, but a lot of makers are trying to make their way through this industry and make a living from it. And that means take stopping to answer questions definitely takes time and appreciating that, that, that it does take time, maybe doing some research on your own or talking with other people on forums. But yeah, you know, I, I don't mean to discourage people from asking questions. It's just, let's, let's try to get your hands dirty a little bit first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got a beef, but, um, <laughs> I think we're going to ask Alec for a brief as well. So I'll give Alec mm. just a couple of minutes to come up with something that's really been grinding his gears this week, a new beef. Um, but I've got a beef. Where's the beef? So my beef is French builders from 1750. It's very, <laughs> very specific. So, so my house dates back to around 1750. So that makes it older than the United States of America, which blows my mind, blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a straight line in the whole house. So we've been doing some renovating and we've been, you know, to some decorating ready for, for the new babies coming to the house. But, you know, some walls are as much as seven to eight degrees off true. So, you know, massive oh, wow. trouble when it comes to, uh, you know, hanging doors, putting up shelves and wallpaper in. So I curse French builders from 1750. If only they knew that 250 years later they'd be talked about online. I'm sure they would have used straight edges. They wouldn't have cared. Levels. They wouldn't have cared. They're yeah. dead. They're dead, and, the, and they're giving you the finger from the grave. They don't care. That's it. You're but, you're out. You're out. You, they don't bl- care. They've done their job. And they're my dead. Mind. It does blow my mind. There's a, there's a French farmer that was you know 250 years ago, and now he's being you know he, obviously he wouldn't have guessed that the internet would exist, let alone he was being spoken about. But I'm still cursing his work to this day. So I think that's a good lesson for makers too: is make sure everything's perfect because who knows you know in 200 years time if your work is still is still lasting, 
you want it to hold up against time. I am telling you this with peace and love. I, when I'm dead, I will not care. Leave me <laughs> in the ground. I'm not going to give a shit about you and your walls, nor anything else, because I'm done. I'm dead, and that's it. It's over. There's nothing left. <laughs> Is that the guarantee that comes with your nice job? I, I, I know listen, that's not the listen, case. Listen, I know. Well, here's, 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 I, I once had surgery, and they knocked me out completely, and I, when I woke up. I had no more fear of death, because there ain't no twiddling your thumbs in the afterlife. You're, oh, it's over. The curtain comes down, and it's done. There's nothing. There's no thinking. There's no dreaming. It's over. So when if, when my time is up, that's the way it is. You're on your own. I like that for a guarantee. You're on your own. Alec, what's been grinding your gears this week? So I've been putting my tools up on eBay, right? And that is that has presented two beef opportunities. <laughs> One beef. beef opportunity is while I have been diligently answering messages from serious buyers on the ebay profile you know can have the dimensions of this the dimension of that you know answering the messages and then go to the next message and i i have a serious beef with every other message being somebody saying hey i'm I'm not here to buy anything i just want to say you know i like your videos and thank you so much for making them thanks that wow. is beef that's your, that your beef because ebay is not ebay is not it's not an easy thing to navigate through like the inbox on mm-hmm. eBay, you've got to go back a page and then open it again. And uh, yeah, that's, that wasn't helpful this week. Well, yeah. this week. why is that? Why do people do that? You know, well, they, they, they just want to want say to... hello. They want to be friendly, which is lovely. And, and it's lovely that they want to be friendly. But, mm. you know, being people that are friendly often cost me sleep because, you know, that's, they're, they're the few seconds that I could have been using uh, on important things that then I have to, you know, not use which is annoying. Mm, Following on to the next mm. beef, which is people showing up uninvited at the workshop. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that's, you know, and, and lots, of, lots of lovely people have shown up, you know, and, you know, people with very good intentions and, and nice people. But it's one of those things where it's like, again, it just, it just robs you of your productivity in the day. You know, sending an email with a question is one thing. But, uh, you know, when somebody shows up and it's 20 minutes of your time, that's 20 minutes you don't get to sleep. That's 20 minutes of work um, that's missed out on, which obviously for anybody that's working, you know, and you're directly connected to what it is that you do, that ends up being annoying. But uh, so Mm. even though lots of lovely people have shown up and despite that, that's beef. That's a I've good beef. That. <laughs> well, here it's a place of work. It's a place of work, right? Well, but exactly, we're doing stuff. That, I mean, if this was an accounting firm, you wouldn't really be getting visitors. You know, it's 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 far more interesting than what other a lot of people do. So they want to see what you're up to. Hmm. Is Montana? Is that is that second beef? Is that part of the reason you want to be in Montana? Oh, I'm I'm sure I'm sure it's actually going to be a hell of a lot easier for somebody to show up at the workshop in Montana than where it is that I am now. You know, I think there's a much better, there's a much larger concentration of people that follow my work there than here. Can I, can mm. can I quickly tell you a weird Montana story? Is that, do I have time yes. for that? All right. Well, mm-hmm. this is an embarrassing thing to, for me, but this is my first, my first episode with Montana was when I was, when I was 10, my parents got divorced and they used, they sent me to summer camp and I was really, you know, I was upset and naive and weird. And I had this camp counselor that I got off the bus and the camp counselor said, Hey, my name's Scott and I'm from Montana. And I was like, hi, how are you? And he goes, you know about Montana? And I said, no, I don't know. No. And he said, Montana's where the men are men and the sheep are nervous. And I, I, <laughs> oh my well, God. listen, so I had, I was young. I didn't understand what he was talking about. 
And all I could think of is what's wrong with these sheep? What's the matter with these sheep? And are why are they what are they afraid of? Are they getting eaten? Do people eat sheep? And for and then I they some people were laughing, some people weren't, and I was just like, Well, I, I, I have no idea, but it always stuck in my mind. What's going on with these sheep? So that summer I came back home. And I was at my dad's office, and we were going. He, he, I was staying with him for the day or whatever. And he says, "Let's go to lunch." And I used to love eating lunch with my dad and his, his, his you know, whatever business people. And we were sitting down at the table with one of his business associates, and the, and my dad said, "Oh yeah, this is so and so from he's from Montana." And <laughs> and I thought, and I thought, here's my chance. This is my chance. I'm going to find out what's going on with these sheep. So he's he's being nice to me because, you know, he's trying to do business with my dad, but he obviously can't do business with a kid sitting there. So he's talking to me about baseball or whatever. And and all of a sudden, I'm, I get the courage to say, excuse me, I, I, what is – can you tell me what's the matter with the sheep in Montana? And he goes, excuse me? And I said, well, I, I just, I just heard that there's like, there's a, there's some, you know, nervous, anxious sheep in, in Montana. And then he does not, he's got his face all curled up. And, and then my dad turns to me and goes, Jeff, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I, I, I heard about these sheep and I don't know, I want to know what's going on. And he, my dad's like, wait, wait, what are you talking? What did you hear? And I said, well, my, my summer camp counselor said, I'm from Montana where the men are men and the sheep are nervous. And I could never understand it. My dad was just like, God damn it, Jeff. I'm never taking you to lunch again. So needless to say, needless to say, young 10-year-old Jeff had no idea that this was where it was going to go. And I'm going to, you can figure it out. But it was, but with, with that said, dear Montana, I love you. I'm, I, I, I don't believe that this is from the tourist board of Montana, this stupid <laughs> expression, but you might want to think about that next time someone says it. It's, that's, that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. Me. Well, I'm Welsh and we get a lot of sheep jokes in Wales. Um, it's, it's not yeah. a good, it's not a fun, I mean, bestiality I don't think ever works in a good joke <laughs> sen- setting. So oh let's just God. keep it there. Let's just keep it there. So With that, it. I think that's a great end to the podcast. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Alec, for putting up with this. No, it's my nonsense. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so for all the great content you do and the videos you do. You're a, you're yeah, an inspiration absolutely. to a lot of people, inspiration to me and inspiration to a lot of people. And, and it's really incredible what you do. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future because I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Well, thank yeah. you, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm very grateful. Right. A couple of things before we go. So just a reminder of the forum. So if you've got any questions, head off to the forum, which is forum.knifetalk.net. A reminder, the discount from Soul Ceramics at soulceramics.com to get your even heats because you're going to need an even heat. Um, a reminder of the Knife Talk t-shirts, which we now have available. Um, they w- there will be a link on the knifetalk.net site because at the moment they're on the Chop Knife site. It's just a bit awkward. But thank you all for listening. Thanks again to Alec uh, for being our guest this week. And hopefully you'll hear from us again next week. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.